Hello, and welcome to Hide and Speak with me, Matt Saxon. First off, I just want to say Merry Christmas. I hope everyone's had a nice time. This episode should be out between Christmas Day and New Year's Eve, so that kind of weird time where you don't really know what day it is, you don't know what time it is, you don't know if you're supposed to be at work or not, probably drunk, I don't know. So before I speak about today's guest, I do want to just say a huge thanks to everybody who listened to episode one. It was um, an amazing response. I couldn't have asked for anything more, to be honest. Hundreds and hundreds of people listening to it from all over the world. And I also got loads of lush messages coming from people saying how much they enjoyed the podcast, how much they thought that it was quite informative but also relaxing and just quite calming and they obviously loved the conversation that we had me and Johnny Bond so yeah just huge thanks to everyone for that Um, and also the podcast is sitting at number 33 in the art chart on Spotify which is absolutely wild for me to even think about so yeah huge thanks to everybody today's guest is London-based Newcastle-born singer-songwriter Imogen she came up to the northeast in early October this year. So we went to a bird hide in Northumberland just before the release of her latest EP, Bloodbag. If you've not heard her music before, please go and check it out. This EP is amazing. It's been so well thought out. The production, the songwriting, the structure, her voice is just tremendous. Go and listen to that now if you haven't already. But also, in addition to Imogen working as an amazing musician, She's also a director on the Ivers Academy Board and co-chair of the Youth Council. She's also working with the Musicians' Union to make the industry safer and more accessible without any further waffle. Here it is, episode two, Imogen. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Imogen. Imi, Imogen, which one do you prefer? Honestly, whatever. It's funny because like, obviously Imogen is my name, but it's also my artist name. Mm -hmm. And everyone up here knows me as Imi. I know. Imi used to be your artist name once upon a time, didn't it? Imi Williams. So yeah, honestly, whatever. I feel like when someone calls me Imi, I'm like, oh, you know me. (laughs) (laughs) You know the real me. Okay. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very, very much for doing it. Thank you for having me. It's lovely in here. For the purpose of the listeners, I like to get my guest to describe like what you're seeing in as much detail as you like. So we're sitting in a bird hide, which is remarkably comfortable actually. And I'm looking out at quite an empty lake. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we get joined by something soon. There's quite a lot of grass, the weeds are blowing in the wind. There's a really like spooky looking tree like in the middle of the lake. It is a feature of the, uh, of the pond, isn't it? It yeah. looks really cool. It's like it's been placed there on purpose. It's like a proper archetypal haunted tree. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's like a raven's going to come and land on the top of it or something. Yeah. There's quite a few swans out as well. There was quite a lot of birds when we first got here, wasn't there? Until we opened up the hatches the of the window. They, um, <laughs> what, there must have been probably about a hundred birds flew away <laughs> when we opened the windows. So Hopefully they'll be back. Yeah, they'll come back. Hopefully they'll come and sit on that really spooky tree. It looks like that tree out of um, the jungle book that the vultures sit on top of. What do you want to do? <laughs> I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, in the distance, I don't know if you can see, but there's a few posts sticking out of the pond. Oh, yeah. And can you see That's those? Better. There's four cormorants on... Cormorants. Yeah. Got me binoculars. She's got her binoculars. <laughs> yeah. So if you have a look over there, you'll see the cormorants 
kind of look oh, yeah. like the vultures from the Jungle Book. They do. So how many vultures? Geordie vultures. It's <laughs> a good band name, that isn't it? <laughs> how many vultures are in that Jungle Book? I feel like there's a few, but there's like two main ones. Yeah. Yeah. And they're model off the Beatles, aren't they? Oh yeah, that's right. They are. And they've got like the Scouse accent. <laughs> oh, here come the geese. Oh, they're back. I don't know, about 30, 40 geese. Just flying in. Looks like they're going to land. Are they going to land? Oh, almost. Oh, no. Nearly. Oh, no. Yeah, they've landed. A few more coming in. Late arrivals. So they're... Um, look at those two at the back. They look like they're having an argument. Yeah. Maybe it's like husband and wife arguing why they're late. <laughs> Steve, man, I told you. Hurry up, man. It always takes so long to get ready. <laughs> I oh, know. Here they come. Here come the cool late arrivals. Oh, yeah. Actually, look at them just just They're gliding cl- in. They are moving. Yeah, that's the cool gang, isn't it? <laughs> They're grey lag geese. Yeah, we get a few different types of geese in the UK. We get grey lag, pink footed geese, which look really similar, as you can imagine. Got pink feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get Canada geese as well. Yes. So yeah, see a lot of them here. I can't see any right now, but how can you tell? They're quite obviously different than Greylag and the Pink-Footed. Pink-Footed are kind of Pink-Foot, but also they've got kind of like brownie grey, a little bit of white on them. And the Canada geese are more like black and white. It's actually quite easy to... Um, are the Canada geese the geese that you most like to see? Are they the ones with the black beak? Yeah. Oh, the swans having a little bit of a fight over there with the signet. Yeah, don't worry, it's not going to be all talking about birds. <laughs> so. I know, I know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. So what's your kind of um, bird knowledge? Are you, you brought your own binoculars here today, so I mean, that's a I've good sign. I've got to say they're my dad's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I've done, like I've said to you before, like I spent a lot of time, a lot of my childhood in Embleton, like up near Dunstanborough, and they've got a really lovely bird hide there that mm. I would just go and sit in for, for hours at a time in front of this lay. But it was definitely more of just like a sitting and pondering rather than like researching what the birds were. So yeah. I recognise a lot of birds, but just don't have a vocabulary. And I feel like I've kind of let my parents down in that department because my mum, her dad used to be a nature warden. So she knows every name of every flower, every plant, every bird. Oh God, that's that's like another level. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, cool. it's really amazing to go on a walk with her. But I, for some reason, just haven't retained that knowledge. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I've got a friend of mine who is also like that. He'll just name exactly what kind of tree that is, exactly yeah. what kind of yeah. shrub that is and that tells me all the information yeah. but it just goes in one ear and out the other unfortunately I'm, I'm the same like my dad is like a walking encyclopedia yeah. and can tell me about anything and I unfortunately just can't remember anything. maybe that's a curse of our <laughs> generation. generation unfortunately it it's like my my Jolie granddad was um just obsessed with the reader's digest books and so I had like oh, a okay. lot of books on birds books on mm-hmm. wildlife your Jolie granddad yeah Sounds like he's got his own podcast. <laughs> he should have had his own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so what if is some of your family Geordie and some of your family yeah, so from somewhere my, else? My Geordie side is all all my dad's side. Mm-hmm. Like obviously I grew up here, but my mum moved around a lot as a kid, originally from like down near Oxford. Okay. Um, but because their dad was a nature warden, they just moved around where the work was. So but yeah, she's not an urban less. So what what does a nature warden do? Like So they would move to like a nature reserve or like have a house on the corner of one or whatever and yeah. it would be his duty I think to look after the land oh. um, and also to document it and to learn okay. about it he took, took a lot of photos count the birds on the pond and so. all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. 
I actually met a couple of those people just the other day. I went to a bird hiding. They were already there and they were like putting all of the bird food out, but they were also like taking note of everything that they could see. Yeah. Put it in like a log book and yeah. stuff. And so maybe that's kind of similar to Absolutely. what he did. I think it must be a really relaxing way of life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've been going bird watching since 2016. Mm. And I've always said that it's like, it's a super good way to relax. Yeah. Really therapeutic. Yeah. I mean, can you hear that? It's just like there's a nice little breeze on the pond and yeah, some of the so reeds nice. are just moving around. So there's a lot of like, yeah, like stimulating noise, go- noises going around, you know? Yeah, but I just feel calmed by all of them. Are those swans like sleeping over there? It looks like they've got their heads tucked under the wing. Probably because it's breezy, oh, I don't so, know. There's so many of them. There is actually. Yeah. I, I didn't notice these the other seen. day. 14, 15, 16. Jesus Christ. 17, 18, <laughs> 19, 20, 21, 2, 23. I can see 23 swans over there alone. There's 33 swans. I don't think I've ever seen that many swans in one go. Well, there's like a few signets over there as well. Mm-hmm. Do you know if swans have like a season where they have kids? Or is it just any time? I'm assuming that it's the spring. spring. Or maybe it's summer. They still do look quite young. The pond that I usually go to, it's usually got like a male and a female who are like rearing their young. Mm. So it's always nice to see how many are kicking around really. Occasionally, unfortunately, not all of them survive. One of the things that those wardens were telling me that they um, they have to count how many cygnets are on the pond because uh, there's a bacteria in the water oh, no. that the adults can withstand, but oh, the cygnets can't. can't. Is that like a man-made thing? Probably. Probably. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. I really kind of want to get to know a little bit more about how you kind of started in music and stuff like that. So... I kind of want to just go as far back as possible, like how it all started for you and um, like when you got your first instrument and okay, that what got you into it. Oh, yeah. I've always been surrounded by music. I had a very like musical family. My granddad, I just spoke about my Geordie granddad. I mean, he was a welder, but he was also a social club entertainer. So he was always just like performing around the house and singing and dancing and all sorts. And I just grew up with it. And so I was always encouraged. I feel very privileged. I was always encouraged to go for drama and music and art and always allowed to be as creative as I wanted to be at home, which was really, just really lovely. And so when I was about six, I think, maybe even younger, like my dad bought a Yamaha keyboard, you know, one of those that has like DJ button on it. The demo button. Yeah, yeah. Lesson <laughs> one. <laughs> so I got that like a really early age and had a few lessons with it. Kind of all just like, start from then really like I was always kind of singing at the piano and and then I think I was about 11 when I had my first singing lesson and it was always part of what I did and I always felt like I was good at it and I was gonna do something to do with music in my life but it wasn't really until I was about maybe 14 15 I'd been in a band at school and I'd like you know sang all like the school bands and that kind of thing don't skip past that. Okay. <laughs> I want to know about the band that you're in. So. What, what were you called? Um, We were actually called Herons. What? Yeah. Okay. We, Brilliant. Yeah. It was it was like a few guys in the air above me. They were already in a band called uh, Brassy B. Brassy B. I don't know if you'd heard of them. No. Legends no, no. on the circuit. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But they were a brass band. 
and they formed a kind of like rock band with brass element nice. um, and they needed a singer because I'd been, you know, in the kind of singer of the fusion band at school. They knew I could sing, so they asked me to be involved with it. We didn't have a name yet. I think the drummer had this like big book of birds and it was like, a massive book with like a thousand pages. We couldn't decide on the name, so we were flicking through it and we saw a page that said Herons and Their Allies. That's quite a good band name. Yeah. And we thought about it. We were like, okay, well, we'll just park that one. And then we were like, let's all pick a number, add them together and divide them by five because it was five of us. Mm -hmm. And we'll land on that page and whatever that page is will be called that. Mm -hmm. And it went back to Herons and Their Allies. So the we same like, page? Yeah. Whoa. So we were like, that's fate. We're going to be called that. There you go. Um, and Herons and Their Allies then turned into just Herons. And it was good. I can't remember how long we were together. We played a few like Heart Rock Live shows. Do you remember? Heart Rock Live? Do you remember Heart Rock Live? It was like an old promoter in Newcastle. I don't know if I do. On, like a lot of kind of like school band gigs at like the O2 and that kind of thing. Really? Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. It, was, it was quite a funny experience. Was it your own music or was so it, it was mainly, covers? Or? It was covers and like we did pick up the pieces, but obviously there's no singing in that. So I just like played tambourine on the side. Amazing song. We did it is. We did like Feeling Good, Nina's Moan. And then we did a few of our own. I say our own, like, I think I wrote maybe one of them. And then the band kind of dissolved. And I just was like, I don't want to stop doing this. So I then, luckily I had a singing teacher at the time who she was really encouraging. And she was like, I've got a gig coming up at the Clooney and you can support me. This is when I was about 15. She was like, you can support me if you do half an hour of original material. Ooh, and then nice. I had written songs in the past. Like I'd written quite a few just for myself at the piano. But this was like a real challenge. It was the first time that someone had been like, I want half an hour's original material. So how long did you have to finish your songs off? Was it like a couple of weeks, a couple Two of months? Weeks. Two weeks, right? Two okay. weeks. And I did it. I can't vouch for the quality of the songs, but um, <laughs> I did it. And I supported her at the Clooney. And that was just like one of those light bulb moments where I was like, wow. I actually really loved mm -hmm. everything about that. And so from then on, I just started kind of playing solo piano on the scene in Newcastle. Yeah. Meeting a lot of great people at the Buskers Nights on the coast and nice. um, Endless Nights at the Head of Steam in central Newcastle and obviously down the Oosburn and just started like meeting all the people. Work with the guys at Loft and Blast and Blank and yeah, just became really part of the scene. And I think that was such a nurturing place to be a part of. Everyone's so loyal and encouraging. A lot of my friends put on gigs at that time. I remember Charlie Dancer and Ollie Wynn, they had a little promotion company called Beyond the Wall, I think it was called, and they did gigs like, all the time. And I was just at the head yeah. of steam in Newcastle all the time. <laughs> I didn't know they had a little promotion yeah, thing did. going on. <laughs> they did. Legends. I know, absolute legends. Shout I love, out. I love Ollie and Charlie. Good lads. Shout out the new radio show. I think it's called Dead Air. On um, Slack Radio. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, like, I remember, I don't think you were with them at the time, I supported Little Comets at the Bridge Hotel when I was right, like, yeah, 16. Yeah. And that was another one of those moments where I was like, yeah, this is it. This is exactly what I want to do. I need to confirm some information here. Oh, yeah. What are you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What are you going to say? I think I know. Did Rob teach you uh, yes. piano? Yes, that is actually an integral part of my story that is left out there. <laughs> um, so I went to school where Rob's dad was the head teacher. Oh, yes. Peter yes. Coles. Mr. Shout Coles. out to Peter Coles. Absolute legend yeah. um, of the highest decorum. Yeah, Rob was the piano teacher for a while there. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he gave me 
gave me lessons. We wrote a 12 bar blues together. Excellent. Um, I actually kept my comment books from him. What he like gave you reports and stuff yeah, like that yeah. as well. Like, in I, his like signature little yes, comments handwriting. Exactly. Like that's why I kept them because obviously then the writing of little comments was his mm-hmm. and so it looked exactly the same. He was like basically my introduction to the piano, which is yeah, it was just really funny, like because Michael taught guitar in that school as well. Yeah. Like, Mark also taught drums in the school and God, yeah. Was, Peter calls keeping them in with a yeah. little job, yeah, well, while they were doing the, the I mean, also they oh, it's all coming back now. They were free runner. Mm-hmm. And they played at school. Yeah. For all of us. For all of us, like, wow. how old were we? Four to ten. <laughs> all of us just like, yeah, woo, in the Amazing. school hall. And they actually shot their video for One Night in October. That's right. At yeah. school. Yeah, I remember. So, yeah, always been really encouraging as well. Peter Coles as well. Just constantly supportive. <laughs> nice. Yeah, when I mentioned to Rob, who I was going to have on the podcast, I mentioned you, and he was like, oh, teach you the piano back in school. Yeah. It's great. Uh, not a lot of people know how amazing Rob is on piano. He's like super, oh, yeah. super good pianist. Absolutely. But uh, she plays guitar mostly yeah. in little comments. Well, I guess he does He does a lot of piano stuff as well. But No, that's good. Good little yeah. introduction to the piano. Yeah. I can't Rob believe I left that, left that out. That's a big clear of fame, that is. <laughs> I'll edit the... Uh, <laughs> if you've got anything to say now, like, oh, and now this is when I met Rob Coles. Then I'll like edit it to be earlier. I'm just joking. <laughs> and then when I was five, yeah. Oh, it's actually so weird to like also know someone who has known me since I was that age. What? How old was it? Like five? I think I was that young because it was in Seriously? first school. So wow. maybe more like seven and eight, but still like that's a really long time ago. Wow. And obviously, you know, when you're a child, you don't really have the same personality as you do when you're old. <laughs> just funny yeah so yeah you've left the school band so then yes. kind of where did you go after that you've done the Clooney gig and yeah so that was kind of my first step I remember actually the boys being like you doing a solo gig <laughs> I was like yes I am actually <laughs> what the boys in the band the boys in the band okay, yeah, yeah yeah I think they were more interested in kind of going down that like brass band and to be honest I was more interested in doing you know kind of solo singer-songwriter stuff anyway, so it did make sense. Yeah. It was a funny time being in that band. Like, every gig we wore hats, like different hats. <laughs> what kind of hats are you talking Like, I wore, there's a famous photo of me, I wore a sailor hat and, like, stripy hot pants. <laughs> wow, that's a strong look. <laughs> yeah, and there was, like, someone wearing a fez, someone wearing a builder's hat. I don't know what the decision was. Like, I don't know why that was a thing, but it would be an edgy or something. What, like the village people? Yeah, a bit like that. The Newcastle <laughs> village people. <Yeah. laughs> and I had like my braces on and stuff. God, it was a difficult time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you clearly just exploring your, yeah. your style <laughs> yeah. back in those days. Absolutely. Yeah, It was the God. time of disco. What, what kind of age are you talking here? Uh, 14, 15. Oh, right. Okay. So you, I was probably doing something very similar. <laughs> Being like baggy skater jeans and probably wanted to look as American as possible yeah. when I was that age. I don't really know who I was basing myself on. Mm. Oh God, I based myself on like new metal bands and like yeah. punk bands like Blink-182 oh, yeah. and stuff like that. And I was never a Green Day fan, but I'm, yeah. I was a Green Day fan, but I was never like See, I became, massively into I became a Fall Out Boy fan because the boy I fancied was a massive Fallout Boy fan, so I downloaded the music onto my iPod Nano <laughs> and was just like constantly smashing that one song. What was it? 
Where is your boy tonight, I hope? That one. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Blink-182, that though. Um, oh, tragic, tragic time. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, I was luckily a bit older to, to miss the Fallout Boy and yeah. my chemical romance kind of phase. But uh, <laughs> I've got to admit, I've got a guilty pleasure. It, well, it's not even guilty. Like, I oh, like Paramore. Oh, I, yeah. That's I love guilty. Paramore. I think they're really good. And uh, There's also been like a resurgence in the love for Paramore, I think, recently. Yeah. Yeah. I just think they've got some great songs. They do. The last album that they did was like just full of bops. And I just like, I mean, let's not forget B.O.B. featuring Hayley Williams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's not forget that. Oh. Banger. Is that the yeah. airplanes in the night, night sky like shooting, shooting stars? <laughs> yeah. I could really use a wish right now. Wish right now. <laughs> yeah, what a banger. Yeah, good tune. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like she's just got a great voice. and, and She does. Have you heard her solo stuff? I have, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's like, it's it's a bit darker, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's just dark, but it's really... <laughs> it's, yeah. It's so It's dark. pitch black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, I kept an eye on it when she was, like, mm. doing her releases and stuff, and yeah, like, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like She that... had some really good musicians in her band as well, I thought it was... Uh, oh, yeah. A guy called Aaron Steele on drums, really, really good drummer. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that the love for Paramore is definitely, like, in a resurgence. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard much of Olivia Rodrigo, who's like this. Yes. She's like the new pop darling. Yes. But she's definitely like taken a lot of influence. I heard there was a court settlement or something. I think there might have been actually. There um, was one tune that just sounds exactly like a Paramore song. <laughs> yeah. I even heard it when I when it first came on the radio. When I first heard it on the radio, I was like, oh, that just sounds like Paramore. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Nice one. And I then think, I think she just later, even like credited them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Give them any royalties whatever it was just like oh, right, like, oh you, so you've admitted that they've influenced it but you haven't oh god yeah. i mean it's like it must be quite hard to yeah i mean you know create works, something though. new it's, yeah but like i think what they've done is really clever where they've kind of done like a i can see what they've done is like a mood board of nostalgia mm-hmm. and they've kind of just put it all together and made a great album yeah a lot of it does sound like power <laughs> i haven't heard the album as a whole She's got some good songwriters on there, hasn't she? She's got um, Jack Antonoff yeah. from Bleachers is yeah. on there. How do you feel about He's him? He's on everything. How do I feel about Jack Antonoff? I mean, I really love a lot of what he's done. I did love the last Lana Del Rey albums. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked, especially Norman fucking Rockwell. I thought that was a brilliant album. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really made my mind up. I don't like... Did he work with Lord again this time? Yeah. She was quick to be like, this isn't a Jack Antonoff album. And I think it's interesting <laughs> when like artists have to say that because it's we've kind of become so associated with the producer. Yeah. I remember like Amy Winehouse saying, like, this isn't Mark Ronson's album, this yeah, is my yeah. album. So I think it's interesting that Lord felt like she had to make that. I also think like yeah. recently songwriters I mean in the past songwriters are literally guys who sit in the studio or yeah. girls who sit in the studio. Yeah. Who very rarely see the light of day. And yeah. I think quite recently the songwriters have been getting, they've been pushed oh, to the absolutely. front of the uh, yeah. of the view, really. So I think what's really helped with that is actually the introduction of Spotify credits. Right. I yeah. think it's a really good feature because you actually get a go and see who like, exactly who wrote the song. And that I don't know. Of, I don't know about this. So what? Oh, what so is it's, it? It's just like a. You can go on the song and then click the three dots next to it. Scroll down. It says credits, and you click oh. on it, and it's just the producers and the writers on the track. And I think like it should be like that. Like obviously that would be mm-hmm. on the physical record, but like 
you know, yeah. not many people buy physical records anymore. So for a while, these people just went fully under the radar. Mm-hmm. And now they're actually kind of getting the exposure that they deserve. And also like, I'm part of the Ivers Academy, like a music association that looks after like well-being and rights of creators. And they're really pushing to pay songwriters properly. Mm-hmm. So I do think, yeah, there's a general like shift in the respect for like the kind of anonymous songwriters. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to talk about that. Yeah. Because I saw that you just went to the awards recently, didn't you? Yeah. How, oh was, how was that? That was <laughs> that was amazing. I kept having to like meditate because I was just like getting so overwhelmed. Really? I was just like, breathe, breathe. <laughs> Yeah, it was a really, it was a really incredible event. Like I've known of the Ivan Novellos for a really long time, just because they're such a prestigious award. Yeah, and you know, it's every songwriter's dream to win an Ivan Novello. So yeah, just getting the chance to go as part of the Academy was like just amazing. What is the Academy? Is so that's the kind of because um, you're on a board. Aren't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. So it's it's the association that runs the Ivan Novellos, basically. Mm-hmm. So they have like a board and then they have different networks. So they have like mental health group and the equality, diversity and inclusion group. And mm-hmm. like they have like lots of different kind of networks which focus on different issues in the music industry. Yeah. And then they're all like brought to the board and then the board like launches campaigns and stuff yeah. like that and works with the team and the trust to kind of, yeah, launch campaigns in the industry. And like the biggest ones recently have been fixed streaming, calling out streaming services for not being mm-hmm. fair which is a very big problem yes yeah yeah and uh keep music alive is kind of just similar and pay songwriters what i just spoke about just like raising awareness of the songwriters and also calling for them to get more than what two percent or whatever yeah. they make <laughs> so yeah it's been it's been a really amazing thing to be part of i got involved because it was the start of lockdown and like most musicians i was just feeling entirely helpless i didn't really know like what the future was going to be like and i'd heard of the ivers academy before and so i just went on their website to see if they had any kind of advice and then the small print at the bottom said that they were forming a youth council and they were looking for people who wanted to join and i thought like you know i engage with the lives of young musicians all the time like i live with them like I have these rants about the music industry all the time. So I was like, if I can have them in some kind of formal setting, that would be amazing. So I decided to join. And then I got a call from the guy that was running it and was like, actually, we've got another opportunity coming up to actually be an under 25 board director on the main board at the Ivers, if you'd be interested. I kind of didn't know what that meant. Yeah, I was just like, what is a board? Like, I've never... Sounds like official. Yeah, I've never had like an official role like that. So I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll go for it. And it wasn't until the interview process where I was like, whoa, this sounds like just the dream role and something that I I knew that I would get really invested in. And it's also just nice to kind of have your opinions validated and Mm -hmm. valued, especially as a young female creator. A lot of the time, like I felt like my opinions aren't, aren't valid. So to be in this kind of formal setting with really established musicians who, you know, have been going for like some of them like 40 years um it's just really lush to be able to kind of give the youth perspective and give my yeah. perspective on these things you've like got some pretty big boots to step into in that case haven't yeah. you like does that not make you feel a little bit daunting it does it does especially when like you know people associated with the academy are like nile rogers and bjorn from abba and like wow people like that i mean i don't sit on board with them 
I do sit on the board with Martin Ware from the Human League, though. <laughs> All right, okay. And he's lovely. And yeah, I think I would find it intimidating if they weren't so encouraging. Like mm-hmm. they really, they really encourage me and Hope, who's got the other under twenty five role, to have our say. And it's just been really, yeah, really nice. Because I thought, like, as soon as I got the role, I was like imposter syndrome straight oh, away. God, yeah, yeah. Straight away. <laughs> but you know, from the first meeting, they've just been like, "And what do you think about this?" And it's mm-hmm. like, oh. Actually, um, I've never been asked that. So it's been cool to even formulate these opinions that maybe I just Mm -hmm. thought like I didn't have the space to before and be involved with other networks. Like I sit on the disability awareness group. We talk a lot about accessibility within the industry. And yeah, it's just been really cool to connect with other people across the industry in this way as well and be united by like a kind of collective passion to make it safer and healthier rather than kind of feeling quite alone in that um, which mm-hmm. I think it is easy to when you feel like you have to kind of abide by how the industry works in order to get somewhere. Yeah that's amazing so what do you kind of I was speaking mm-hmm. to someone the other day who, who mentioned that one of their family members always found it really difficult to come and see their shows yeah, because of the, the particular venues that they played mm-hmm. till they uh, played a very accessible yeah. venue. Mm-hmm. So is it that kind of stuff or is it like more artist kind of focused? Or? It is that kind of stuff and it, it is also like, so we've been talking a lot about these things called access riders and I didn't know that this was right. a thing. Okay. But it's where um, artists with any kind of um, you know access requirement can fill in this access rider and ask these things of the venue. So it could be anything to do with, I need you to provide a ramp to the stage mm-hmm. or I need someone to go through the equipment with me rigorously because I'm hard of hearing or I need it written down because I'm hard of hearing or, you know, anything that you need can go on these access riders and the venue are obliged to comply with them as as well as they can. And I think that's an incredible thing that Mm, I don't think has much awareness. So it's stuff like that. But then also, yeah, the actual accessibility of venues for for punters is a whole other thing. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I've really tried to make sure that all my shows are as accessible as possible and i'm playing a couple of ep launches one in london and one in newcastle and i made sure that both of them were as accessible as possible it was like the first thing that i made sure about because yeah it's just like you don't know unless you you need it like Mm -hmm. i've got a friend who's in a wheelchair and i didn't actually realize how many tube stations in london don't have lifts because like, I haven't needed God. to know about that, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's that kind of thing. It just needs more awareness and, and more visibility. That's amazing that you're part of that. I think that's, that's really, really cool. It's definitely been good to just even be privy to the conversations happening. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, real privilege. Nice. The awards. Yes. <laughs> I do want to know a little bit about the awards. So what? Sure. Inside the Met Gala. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you... Uh, I saw you on Instagram with your friend, getting all fancy, yeah. kind of like... <laughs> we did go all out. Did you? Yeah. Well, you definitely you would need to, wouldn't you? Yeah. That's the way to do it. So what was the kind of vibe in the awards like? And did you like... It was... Were uh, you presenting awards or was it no, just kind of... No, we weren't. I did. I was like, I think I should present the Under 25 award. And they were like, mm, maybe next year. <laughs> 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 it was really cool to even be invited in the first place because mm-hmm. tickets to that awards are expensive oh god yeah so we hope and i were just like beside ourselves with excitement like we really had to calm down and play it cool but we got there and it was immediately just like okay so like, everyone here is somebody 
and I actually sat on the the TikTok table. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> it was actually really nice. Like, was it? Um, yeah, it was a couple of team members at TikTok and like the head of artist relations at TikTok was there. Oh, I had a, a vision of just like loads of TikTokers. No, well, that's what I thought it might be. <laughs> but it, it, making videos the yeah, entire time. Yeah, but no, it was just it was really nice to sit with them. To be honest, it was nice again to have. It's like just being at the Ivers is like this, just getting insight into the industry and like how it's working and how people see it growing and developing and actually talking to the people who are involved in a platform like TikTok was actually really interesting because I got like a lot of insight into how it's affecting the music industry and how it's working alongside it and yeah. all this kind of stuff. But um, so that was cool. And also like I was I was sat there because they wanted an, an emerging artist to sit with them, which was really nice because I was like, oh, I thought I was coming to the awards as a board director, which is good enough, but to be there as a and considered as a like an up and coming artist as well was just like yeah. another bonus. So that was really nice. The table I was on was just like situated in the best place. It was like at the bottom of the only staircase. I sat down and then I just turned around and I just watched all of these people come down oh, the stairs. Okay, yeah. Like Laura Marling, like Ash Nico, Leanne Le Havas, Jamie Ooh, Cullum, like Amazing. Beyond from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just all these people. And it was it was overwhelming, but it was also just so amazing to be in a space where everyone was there for the same reason to celebrate songwriting. Yeah. And it's not televised or anything. So, I know, yeah. So everyone was kind of on a, it felt like everyone was a bit more switched off. Of course, yeah, yeah. Just a bit more natural than I think if there was like a lot of press about and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did feel like I was kind of on the inside of something really special. In that case, who got the most wasted? Um, might it be me. <laughs> um, it wasn't Nile Rogers or anything. <laughs> Bjorn from Abba. I mean, absolutely plastered. I mean, maybe. Did maybe. you see Bjorn from Abba fall down the stairs? I didn't, unfortunately. Oh. I did see someone stack it on the stairs, but I did you? Okay. I, I, yeah, but there wasn't anyone really famous. I felt so sorry for them. Oh my god. Oh god, that must be. Um, yeah, like how's your eyes? Well, <laughs> stacked on stairs. Actually, Richie Sambora was there from Bon Jovi. Wow. Which was kind of crazy. And he, Did you have a conversation with Richie Sambor? It was very brief. I can hardly remember. It was just like, hi, bye. Um, you need to talk to Rob Coles about that. Oh, experience. really? Yeah. He loves Richie Sambor. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, oh God, he would have <laughs> loved it. He made a speech and it was really amazing. He said something that really stuck with me and it was, songwriting is the closest thing we have to immortality. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is it really like i mean i don't know if i speak for every songwriter but i feel like that's kind of why we do it you know it's like it's a bit of time capsule absolutely yeah and uh being able to kind of grasp a moment like that and hold it in time like that is a real superpower oh definitely yeah just amazing to hear it from him i met this guy who's like really admired as a as a songwriter and we ended up back in this pub and we all got drunk things got deep like conversation got really (laughs) really deep and one of the things that came up was like, what do you want to do with your life? Mm. And he was like, I just want to leave something behind that like people can love, you know, mm. the band that he was involved with is like, at this point they were on like album number five or something like that. Yeah. And I just went, yeah, but you've done that now. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, oh, <laughs> yeah, I suppose you're right. And he never released music again. <laughs> he's never released music ever again. I felt a bit bad about that. Because uh, I was like, I haven't really released anything like that people really kind of grab hold of yet. And 
And then he was like, yeah, I guess I already have. So maybe What's I, next? Yeah, just like to him, just, just like running back and forth on his bed. Yeah, that's the best of my life. He just walks blankly out of the pub yeah. and just like never seen him again. <laughs> no, no, you're right though. That that is like, and I took from that conversation that that is something that I want. I'm going to interrupt you because whoa, the Canada geese have just arrived. <laughs> there's thousands of them. How many do you reckon's there? I reckon there's five hundred. No. Whoa. There's, also, I've just got to say, the light is absolutely beautiful. You've you've got a slightly different view than me. It's oh yeah. Is it a gorgeous pink? Nice. And it's oh. like reflected on the lake. The lake looks purple. That is absolutely lovely. Yeah. Well, we've just had about what looks like I don't know, maybe two, three hundred Canada geese just land in the in the lake for the night, and oh, there's still more on. coming. <laughs> yeah, you can probably hear them. Um, I wonder what they're talking about. You're actually the first podcast that I've recorded at this time of day. All of the other podcasts have been like first thing in the morning. So um, one of the things that I used to love doing, and I still do actually, is um, during summer, it's about half six in the evening right now. And um, I would usually in summer when you have the light nights, me and my friend would come to the bird hive at about eight Mm o'clock and just be here until it gets pitch black, basically. Because you get this amazing order of which things happen right so when you first get there you, it'd be like this so you've got like geese swans ducks and that kind of stuff the odd bird kind of flying by and it's really nice but then when it starts getting darker maybe we might be a bit lucky soon because um the bats would come out oh so in summer the, there's a, like a lot of insects on the pond i don't think there's many now because it's a little bit chilly I want all the bats to commune on that tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's on there right now? It's starting to get a bit dark, so I can't quite see. That looks like a that's a crow on top of the spooky tree. So there you, you've got your little... Uh, and you know what? It's right on top. It's mm-hmm. on the highest branch. One thing I've been really poor at is taking photos of these experiences. Try and get one of the uh, spooky tree. Yeah, but... um. So when it gets really dark, that's when all like the... Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. That did not mean to happen. <laughs> it's all right. Amy's just trying to take a photo of me and the flash went off. <laughs> that was so bright. So, like, it's all right. so yeah, when the bats come out, it's amazing. They Obviously, bats pretty much blind on this. So they rely on like the sonar of their hearing. Yeah. One of the things that we like to do is, you can't quite do it here because the windows are quite small, but in the other hide that I go to all the time, you can kind of lean right out. And if you kind of like cup your ears, make little kind of radar dishes out of your ear, you can hear the bats like clicking the entire time. So they'll just, they'll get so close to your face as well if you've got your head out. Come like swooshing past you and just like so cool. So what is that clicking? That's a good question. Is it their mouth? Are they clapping? <laughs> it's, good, like, little, it's a good little vision, isn't it? Like yeah. clappy bats. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look that one up. It's probably something in their throat, unless they've just got really dry eyes and they're blinking <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> a murmuration of Starlings by the look of it. Uh, you know that song Starlings by Elba? Do you know it? I don't actually. No. Uh, it's on this album, Seam Kate album. Really beautiful song. Apparently, he Guy Garvey is a, an avid bird watcher, so that's probably that where that comes sense. from. Yeah, that makes sense. Starlings are amazing though because they fly around in huge murmurations, sometimes like thousands of yeah. starlings together. We were on 
tour in Brighton. I've got on Twitter like rare bird alerts or like bird alerts. I follow a bunch of people. I was just sitting in the dressing room in Brighton and I was like just scouring Twitter and it was like spotted now, huge murmurations off Brighton Pier. So I had my binoculars with us on tour and uh, just went down to the pier and, and sure enough, there was a bunch of um, bunch of bird watchers all standing there watching. I took videos of it. It was amazing. There must have been like hundreds of starlings, like just all moving it's in one. So it's like, apparently nobody really knows yeah. how they do it. Yeah. So. I remember seeing an amazing one on the town where. Right. Yeah. Like it was just absolutely gorgeous. Class. It's one of those nature things that makes you think like, that is so much bigger than me. Like, oh, yeah. It's just beyond me. Yeah. Got something noisy coming in here as well. Where have they gone? It's probably landed a bit further away. So, yeah, you mentioned your, your EP launches. Yeah. So, do you want to maybe fill me in a little bit on, on Blood yeah. Bag EP? Is yes, it the Blood Bag, it is. Blood Bag EP? It's quite a mouthful, that, actually. <laughs> I know, I should have thought about that. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, I am currently in the process of releasing a body of work that I've been sat on for quite a while, thanks to various reasons, one being the pandemic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, a, it's an EP that sonically is quite a departure from the stuff that I'd previously released. Mm-hmm. But I was just writing about themes that I felt like lent themselves to quite big production. And I'd been doing a lot of kind of experimenting with production and with the producer I was working with at the time. And it kind of just all felt right to go in this direction and I've got a band around me at that point as well so everything yeah. was just kind of taking on a bit of a bigger sound so yeah I've been excited to get this out for a while it's actually four tracks that were written at quite different points in my life but they all touch on similar themes so I really wanted to create a body of work that kind of focused on how much control women have over their own bodies in that is like loads of different kind of guises so it touches on like my own surgical recovery but also touches on allegations of misconduct and then also you know talking about like the transition into womanhood so there's a lot of kind of different aspects of the same kind of themes and questions so it felt quite powerful and important to me to like put these songs together in a body of work and kind of work on them production wise at the same time the songs that i've heard from bloodbag so far you've released bloodbag Sleep Tight and Lion Cub. Yeah. So far. Sonically, the music side of it, it's very like reflective of the subject matter of the songs, I feel. Mm. So you're right, like your sounds definitely, I've noticed the difference, like a big shift in yeah. the production and the kind of like mm-hmm. the songwriting and the soundscapes of it all. I really, really like how it sounds to me like you've experimented quite a lot with mm-hmm. a lot of different sounds. Mm-hmm. Like I'm listening to some of your songs and just thinking like, how the hell is that sound made? <laughs> Like, what have you done there? So <laughs> I don't want to go too far into it because like I could probably go on for a while, but like maybe after this, I need to ask how you got these certain yeah, sounds no, and I mean, stuff. To be honest, I got, you probably know what it's like, but I spent so long in the studio that I've probably forgotten how most of the sounds were made. Oh yeah. Because there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of experimentation and a lot of like cool things used. One of the main components of that record is this little thing called the moth mic. The moth um, mic. Right? Yeah. What's the, so it's like a brand of mic that's made in, I think it's in, it's in Spain, but they like custom make them. It's just like a really small kind of like contact style mic. Okay. It just has like a really weird frequency. And so whenever you kind of speak into it, whatever you've said or played through it comes out like extremely distorted. 
I used that and then also put that through like various pedals and stuff. And yeah, yeah a lot of the songs were made using this tiny little thing, which I really grew to love and will probably use on all my records going forward. <laughs> yeah, like you were saying, the subject matter absolutely lent itself to building this kind of crazy sound world. Well, like a lot of your songs are quite dramatic sounding yeah. songs, <laughs> obviously lyrically as well. But also like, I feel like you've got an amazing knack of the crescendo. <laughs> like, uh, it's like this. I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> right, okay, feel free. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I'm an absolute sucker for a decent crescendo. Yeah. And um, yeah. <laughs> I, I would always like, like the breakdown of a middle eight, I would always go really low. And then yeah. like the outro was always, yeah. always really big whenever I wrote songs. But like, no, I never had functionality of like strings and brass and stuff like mm. that. It's just something amazing to like, be able to use that and, and absolutely it's, yeah it's been really amazing to, like to work with those kind of musicians as well and mm-hmm. really experiment with dynamics because i think that's something that i found that i lacked when it was just me at the piano like it was really hard to get that yeah. same sense of depth and mm-hmm. um, that was really trying to achieve lyrically but would quite <laughs> sorry, that's really <laughs> what's that little i think it's a little hen just flapping away <laughs> i did feel quite restricted when it was just uh the solo project so now I've, yeah. I've got this band around me and this bigger sound it feels like there's more to explore like not just lyrically which is really mm-hmm. exciting to me so obviously like you're the main songwriter so how would your songs kind of take form like music first lyrics later or melody later or are you melody first and i used to always be the melody and lyrics would just come at the same time so i'd like mm-hmm. sit at the piano come up with a progression kind of hum over the top of it and then stuff would just start formulating it was quite like a i guess a symbiotic thing where yeah they would all like fall out at the same time but then i just kind of started experimenting with different ways of working so like i've got this song called i wish i were you and that i just wrote really quickly i think i had to it was like a deadline or something like yeah. at uni but i just laid down a beat and then just laid down a melody and so yeah. it was a new way of working and then since then because i found then that i could write in that way i've been kind of just experimenting with different ways of going about it i think the most natural thing to me will always be going to a piano and just like messing around until the lyrics and melody come out together and then I'll probably finesse the lyrics later on. Yeah, I always try and kind of experiment with different ways because the outcome's always very different. Yeah, so then you would, I'm assuming you'd take it to your band or... So really, like I kind of finish the songs, I say finish them, like I write them by myself and then I get them to like a decent demo point and then like with this record, I just... I took these songs to a producer and then we co-produced the whole thing. And in that time, I had already kind of arranged them for a live band setting. So that kind of live band setting was influencing the production. And mm-hmm. then once they were produced, that then influenced the band again. So it was kind right, of like yeah. an ongoing, like changing process. And something that I really love about the band that I work with is that it is kind of reimagined for a live setting. Like mm-hmm. at the minute, you're not going to hear exactly what's on the record live, but I yeah. really like that. Mm-hmm. And like I use, you know, there's like sweeping synths and strings on um, like Lion Cub and Sleep Tight and live that's replaced by my brass. And it just, it's really nice to have this kind of new setting for them. Yeah. You still get the similar feeling, but it's, it's like, yeah, the live thing is just a kind of almost separate entity. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So you've got this goldsmith background as well, though, haven't you? Yeah. So one thing I've noticed is that you have you seem to have this really nice little community of mm. ex-students of goldsmiths. So like, what was it like? Because it's obviously like a really prestigious 
place to go to, isn't it? So yeah. how do you feel like that's like inspired you? And I love going to Goldsmiths. I definitely found it super challenging. I think that's the main ethos of that place. I think that's why it's as prestigious as it is, is because you come in thinking you know what you're doing <laughs> and they challenge you on absolutely everything. Yeah. And not just musically, but, you know, they really make you think about what you would be providing as a musician in the world, in this current climate. Like wow. it's a lot of kind of philosophical and sociological chats about music and its history and its future. And it's just a very intense <laughs> course <laughs> that I've definitely, definitely benefited from. There was a couple of moments where I thought like, you know, God, I don't even know if like I am actually cut out to do this. Like they do challenge you on stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I came down aged 18, playing my little songs at the piano and I was like, yeah, I'm sorted. I'm going to go to uni and then I'm just going to be a musician and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And actually they were like, um, no, <laughs> they're like, you've got to try this and this and this and this. <laughs> we don't um, think so. Yeah. They were like, why don't you, you know, try to stand on your head? that kind of thing really? <laughs> so I think it was quite a shock to the system going there at such a young age but I've really really benefited from it that's the reason why I've got this band now like I put them together for my final degree show and we did like a big kind of like you know art performance and then it was from then that I like integrated my more kind of pop stuff in with that and realized it was a really good setting for that yeah and then we just continued working together so i've got a lot to thank goldsmiths for mm -hmm. and obviously like the community that came with it as well has been absolutely incredible even the last couple of weeks when things have opened up again i've been to so many gigs and i've just been yeah. reminded like oh god i know so many musicians nice <laughs> i kind of wish i had different friends you know what i mean like we're all just musicians we all talk about music <laughs> it's been really amazing mm -hmm. yeah it's almost the season for bands being on tour as well, isn't it? With oh, like absolutely. autumn, it's like post festival season. Yeah. So I think I've bought so many gig tickets like quite oh, recently. Yeah. So yeah. I've got loads of good gigs to go to and really looking forward to getting out. And yeah, so if you, you've got these EP launches and then like what's next? Are you allowed to inform uh, me? Um, <laughs> what's next? Well, I'm again, I'm sitting on a lot of music. I do feel like it's a nice, powerful position to be in. I've just got a lot of songs waiting for me to kind of really get stuck into them production-wise. So, yeah, next is probably back in the studio. And, yeah, more gigs. I mean, they're <laughs> definitely on the horizon. I think that's what I've missed the most. And that's really where it all started for me. I love being in the studio. I love recording. I love writing. But there's nothing that compares to performing live. And I think I've got a lot to thank the Newcastle music scene for that. That's really where it started and what it was about. That's how I trialed new material. You know, I'd like, I'd have a gig a week, be it, you know, at Surfcraft or at Hell's Steam or at somewhere in Whitley Bay. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it now. Wasn't the Berkeley Tavern, was it? Honestly, can't remember. <laughs> so I had like such frequent gigs that I would be motivated to write mm -hmm. and then I would trial new material out on the audiences and see what worked and see what okay, didn't. Yeah. And it was like a stand up comedian. It was always like there. that. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I think the lack of live performance has kind of made me question a little bit more like what is it about if that's not part of it because it's always been about community for me like always so yeah i'm really excited to kind of get out on the road with the band and um just play as much as possible so yeah next is just more music and more playing <laughs> nice well that's good every time i'm checking out your your stuff like it just seems like it's like sound wise it's getting bigger and it's getting yeah. more elaborate and it's good to hear that you've got a new ep coming out and I'm really excited to see what you do in the future as well. So, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
I think with that being said, it feels like it's getting really dark. So we're almost all we can really see <laughs> is like silhouettes of each other. I and... can just see your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, before we go, what's your favorite bird? <laughs> <laughs> I think might be an obvious choice, but I think albatross. Albatross. Yeah. Wow. I think if I could be reincarnated or something, it would be an albatross. You just want to deliver babies, don't you? <laughs> no, that's a stork. <laughs> oh, shit, it's a stork. <laughs> oh, God. Different, different Disney film. Different Disney film. Um, what's, what's an albatross known for? Just like flying miles and miles over the ocean. Yeah, they've isn't got it? like a huge wingspan. They're mm. also incredibly romantic. They're like mate for life. Are also revered as like a really sacred bird. So... It's like considered really bad luck if you accidentally kill one. Or offend one by calling it a stall. Yes. So you might be cursed now for like oh seven years. God. They've also got a brilliant name, Albert Ross. It's like a real Albert person's Ross. name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Albert Ross. That's like made it weirdly less glamorous, hasn't it? <laughs> they are <eat> Albert. <laughs> Albert. Um, Albert Ross. But yeah, also there was a famous albatross in the film The Rescuers. Did you ever watch that? What's it was about these the two rescue? little mice oh, who went yeah, and rescued yeah, yeah. a child from like an abusive foster mum. <laughs> and I, I don't think I ever saw it, but it rings a bell. Is that the one with the cats in it? Is there some cats that kind of like attack the mice? Or am I thinking of something else? There's some crocodiles that attack the mice. Okay. Anyway, great film. And uh, there's a really good character who is an albatross. Um, it's called Albert Ross. You know what? I don't think so. Oh, God. But that was a trick that they absolutely missed. <laughs> Must have been. <laughs> but yeah, albatross, favourite bird. Rescuers. What's my favourite bird? I've got um I've got a few different favourite birds, but the one that I always kind of go for is the mm-hmm. heron. The humble British heron, because yeah. I love how prehistoric it is. Mm-hmm. They're really good fishermen, they'll kind of just they wade in the reeds and they just stay dead still and mm-hmm. they'll just watch for fish coming past. Bang, just get the fish, no problem. Stealthy. Really, really stealthy. But mainly it's just because they're, they're dinosaurs, man. Yeah. They're just, like, you look yeah. at birds and people think that like crocodiles are like the descendants of, of dinosaurs because they, they imagine like reptiles and, yeah. and the way that kind of it's portrayed in media and movies and stuff like that. But the closest relation to dinosaurs are birds. So a little bit of a, I'll not get into it, but quite recently, I say recently, probably in the last few years, it was discovered that it was more likely that dinosaurs had feathers. Right. Rather than like scaly, reptile skin. So where I live in Crystal Palace now in London, there's a park called Crystal Palace Park. And in there is loads of sculptures of dinosaurs that were built in the 18, I think it was 1890s maybe, or even the turn of the century. It was for the Great Exhibition put on by Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. What's just flown past? It looked like a gold, but I was I was just mm. caught by it because it looked a bit different than a regular gold. But... but yeah, so they've built these huge dinosaurs, like honestly massive, like four times the size of me. But it's what they thought dinosaurs looked like back then. There are just these like crazy, like almost like hippopotamus slash crocodile slash dragon looking <laughs> like huge sculptures just in the park that have been there for like over a hundred years. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's wild. I'll have to check that out then. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so you much for being me. a guest. Um, this has been absolutely lovely. I'm glad. I want to make more glad. of a habit of it. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It's, it's so easy to do. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you've got some nice places around where you live and yeah. you can just go and visit. And It's free, you know. I definitely 
advise people to go and check it out. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this is just kind of show people how amazing bird watching can be. And it's yeah. not just shouldn't be tarred with the brush of being like a nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very therapeutic. And, no, absolutely. Yeah. I'm super glad that you came and I wish you all the best for the Blood Bag EP release. And Thank you so much. Future. I'm sure it'll be amazing. So there it is, episode two with Imogen. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks to Imogen for being a guest. She was amazing. Please go and check out her EP, Blood Bag. And if you also go to YouTube and check out the accompanying music videos for each song on the EP, it really adds to the experience of the Blood Bag EP. So yeah, just a quick one as well. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Spotify, I'm on Instagram. So if you go and follow all of those accounts, that'll make a massive difference to me. If you have any questions about stuff that we talk about on the podcast, send them in either via Twitter, Instagram, or you can email me at hideandspeakpodcast at gmail.com. But for now, I will say goodbye and I'll see you in the new year for episode three. Ciao, ciao.